Keeping sexually pure in an age of moral and spiritual bankruptcy is a tremendous challenge for Christians in virtually all ages, stations, and walks of life. It takes a clear understanding of what God's will is regarding sexual morality, but also a great deal of practical wisdom and spiritual strength to carefully navigate the treacherous landscape and host of temptations and snares strung out in our path by Satan. So tonight, as we tackle the second part of our discussion on the Seventh Commandment, we are going to talk about how we are to maintain sexual purity and uphold God's command. So stay tuned with us on Sinners and Saints. In an age of moral bankruptcy, political sleaze, theological confusion, and aimless religion in a mindless church, we're addressing the need for a Bible-based, intellectually rigorous, 21st century Christian faith. This is Sinners and Saints. Theology with an edge. Hey, thanks for joining us tonight on Sinners and Saints as we're continuing on in our series on the Ten Commandments tonight. Part two of our discussion of the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. And as usual, joining us for our discussion is Reverend Adam Kalushin from Ontario United Reformed Church, Reverend Moses Jambazian from Pasadena URC, and I'm John Sautel, pastor at All Saints Reformed Church. And as promised, we decided we're going to take up the issue of how do we practically go about applying this commandment. We talked a lot in the last show about the various ramifications of the seventh commandment, but now we want to deal with uh, talking through the issue of how do we uphold this commandment? How do we listen and take seriously its prohibition against adultery? Well, I want to start with you got to be in church to hear the law every week. I mean, it may be more pronounced in this commandment than with any other that uh, we are prone as Christians to self-righteousness or to laziness. We either want to think we don't really have a problem with sexuality, or we acknowledge we have the problem, but we just say, well, there's nothing I can do about it. That's especially why you need to hear the law, thou shalt not commit adultery every week when you go to church, and you need to hear the pronouncement that Christ has obeyed the law for you. That's where you have the power in the pronouncement of Christ to forgive you for this sin that you struggle with every day of your life, and you have the spirit that he gives you to then out of gratitude, seek to fulfill the command, repent from all the ways in which you violate it. You can't, if you're trying as a Christian to obey this commandment without hearing the conviction of Christ and then the, the comfort of Christ, you might as well forget it. It's a joke. Now, this commandment is very broad. It's not simply just thou shalt not commit adultery, but if you think uh, your way through the scriptures, you'll find passage after passage after passage which deals uh, with this prohibition from various angles. For instance, I'm thinking of uh, Proverbs chapter 6, where it warns us uh, against the consequences of adultery. It says, Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes and not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. See, the law talks about the consequences of this in very devastating terms. This is a soul-destroying kind of a sin. And you need to hear that. You need to hear the warnings of the law about the consequences and the implications of this commandment. So when you're standing there before the lust or the temptation or whatever it is that you're facing, you need to be able to be thinking very clearly and unambiguously, this command says, don't do it. The scripture makes it clear from what we just read there that this is something that you do. 
it's not something that's done to you. It's not done from the outside, and it's not simply your state. You can't just say, well, God made me this way, or I can't control my passions. It is a deliberate thing that we choose to do, and we have to recognize this sinful desire in us, and therefore that means we must actively fight against it. We have to take precautions. We have to consider the seriousness of being made in the image of God and being called to live holy lives, and therefore not taking lightly that there is going to be temptation around us, but instead guarding ourselves from these things and making sure that we don't fall into these temptations. The Bible even warns of this lust of the woman who will seduce you. In other words, it's not something that you just naturally fall into. It's something that has to be thought of and participated in. And so you need to say, yes, this is a weakness that I have. Obviously, my flesh is fighting against me in my sanctification. But at the same time, I am choosing to do it. And therefore, I will choose instead to be in the presence of God and take seriously his warnings. My son, the Proverbs say, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. They are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence. Keep your heart with all diligence. Don't underestimate the power of your own sin, the power of the temptation that is around you, and therefore you must fight it. You must flee these youthful lusts which war against the soul. And stop blaming God. You can't say that God made me this way or God, how do you expect me to do differently? No, you are called to sanctification and the power of the spirit is now dwelling in you so that you are able to fight these things. There is no temptation given that you cannot run away from. And this is not for you to look at others and say, oh, he fell into the sin. He obviously didn't try. The warning is to you. And the other thing is keep yourself out of situations that are only going to stir up and inflame these lusts. Don't tell me you have a problem with lust when you're down at the strip club two nights a week or you're looking at dirty magazines or you're hanging out in places that are only going to stir up all these desires and you say, oh, I guess I'm just hardwired for this. No, you're not. The problem is is that you are only uh, throwing gasoline on the flames of your lust when you don't need to be in places or looking at particular magazines or movies or whatever, when you know you can't even get this thing under control. Or another one. How about not developing relationships, good close friendships with men or women who aren't your spouse? Listen to uh, Proverbs 6.24. Keep yourself from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of a seductress. Now, men and women, you just love to go get the affirmation of someone who's not your husband or not your wife. And, oh, how what a good person you are and what a good listener you are and how you are such a good helper to me when you know where this is going. This is going for you to be drawn away by your sinful acts. It's the same thing in pornography. These women record audio things to tell you that, oh, they like you and they want you. This is all the words of a seductress. Get yourself away from that stuff. That is poison. It will destroy your soul. The Proverbs say, with much seductive speech, she persuades him, and with smooth talk, she compels him. And at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter. There you have it. That's how it happens, when people let their guard down, let their mind wander, and let people flatter them with smooth words. God's word is warning you. If you're in that position tonight, you better start fighting and resisting temptation. We come back after the break. We're going to continue on in our discussion of the Seventh Commandment, so stay tuned with us on Sinners and Saints. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. In other words, what Paul is saying is that if you want to be wise unto salvation and learn to live for God's glory, you need the Word of God. And that's why I'm inviting you to come worship with us at All Saints Reformed Church. 
Hi, my name is Pastor John Sautel. I'm pastor of All Saints Reformed Church out in Walnut, California. We can't promise you you'll be entertained with high-energy music or thrilling performances or exciting worship or trendy programs, but we will promise you that you'll get the Bible. Because in our worship, we read the Bible, we sing the Bible, we pray the Bible, and we preach the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. If you want to come to know God through His Word and to grow in His grace and knowledge, then we invite you to worship with us at All Saints Reformed Church. For more information, call us at 909-319-3479. That's 909-319-3479. Or check us out on the web at allsaintsreformed.org. This is Sinners and Saints. Theology with an edge. Are you looking for a church that values the Word of God and the rediscovery of its riches in the Protestant Reformation? Hi, I'm Pastor Adam Kalusti, and I want to invite you to join us at the Ontario United Reformed Church. We worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. and 5.30 p.m. Take the Euclid Avenue exit off the 60 freeway, go north one block to Philadelphia Street, turn right, and you'll see us. That's the Ontario United Reformed Church, 866-99-UNITED. Okay, we're back here after the break on Sinners and Saints. The first segment, we talked through the prohibitions against uh, adultery and some of the, the practical admonitions and warnings that the Scripture gives us so that we'll heed those in the moment of temptation. Yet some of you are going to say, well, all you did is just uh, tell me what I already knew is that I'm supposed to flee from this, but I don't want to. I feel bad about it. I've, I've got all these guilt feelings, and now, now what do I do? Because all you're telling me is the law is saying I can't do this and to flee this and that and the other, but these are the things that I continually am entitled into doing. So the question now before us is, well, how do we deal with this? Now we've diagnosed the problem. We know what the law says. It, we, we've heard the warnings and the admonitions, but what do we do? Well, if you're truly convicted of your sins in these ways, I mean, this is going to be a never-ending cycle in your life. I don't think you should expect that you're going to ever be free from all temptation. I mean, the point is when you're convicted of these things, don't run away from the law, but flee to Christ. I mean, the point is you accept the forgiveness that he has given you freely by his grace, and now out of gratitude, you strive again to repent from what you've done that's wrong. Yeah, and you want to avoid the uh, man-made solutions to these things, such as the whole monastic idea, or even the, especially the hermit idea, that you will escape from the temptations because you have now externalized the sin, and you're saying it's purely because it comes from the outside, and you're failing to recognize it is the inner problem. And so, Well, what does that mean? I mean... So I'm, I'm tempted to lust, I'm convicted of my sin, I want to do it. What is a false, man-made, monastic, hermit way of dealing with that? Well, there's the extreme of either castrating yourself or blinding yourself, or more practical, or more often, it is where you simply retreat to a place that supposedly you believe none of the temptations exist, where you basically divorce yourself from ordinary life and your calling to live in the world. And then you restrict yourself to a mountain or a desert yeah. or a tree. By the way, don't laugh at that because castration was a very common way of dealing with sexual temptation in the early church era. They took that verse very seriously when Jesus said, you know, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. Well, they took it one step further and they... Uh, they practiced castration if they felt sexual impulses and desires, and this was one way in the early church to handle that problem. And so you can kind of snicker and laugh at it as, what a stupid idea, but hey, it's been practiced before and been proposed as a solution. And we need to say that, no, that's not acceptable because we're not simply called to obey the seventh commandment and say, okay, I'm not going to commit adultery and then abandon all the things we are called to do. We are still called to live in the world. We are still called to serve others. We are still called to love our neighbor. And so how do we put these things together? 
And it's not going to be done by fleeing. It's going to be done by facing up to the problem and then with the strength of Christ, through the work of the Spirit, through the means of grace, that we will actually be able to fight this. That means being in the church, hearing the law, confessing, and learning to grow in your sanctification. Well, some people want to deal with this problem in their heart by just saying God's will must be complete abstinence for everybody because that's how you, with one fell swoop, get rid of all the sexual problems. But the problem is when you teach that, the Scripture calls that a doctrine of demons. First Timothy chapter 4, one of the doctrines of demons, which people are uh, speaking and teaching, these lies and hypocrisy with their seared consciences, they're forbidding people to marry. And so they think that if you divorce yourself from all of the pleasures of the flesh, then therefore that will solve the sin problem within you. And that's, in fact, the opposite of what we should do. We should actually take advantage of the good gifts of God that he's given to us. For example, if you're struggling with lust, as Paul says, get married. It's better to marry than to burn with passion and lust. And, uh, you know, if you have a, a problem with gluttony, the answer isn't, well, starve yourself to death. The answer is, you know, you eat good food in moderation. You can't get rid of the sin that is within you by changing the circumstances that are outside of you. That is the point. You have to confront the sinful passions and put them to death by the power of the Spirit. And also during this time, you look to say, okay, why did God prohibit it? What was it that he created sex and marriage for? And then meditate upon that and study that and then also pray to God that he will grant you that and do what is necessary. If you wish to be married so that you can have sex, then make yourself someone who is worth marrying. Grow and let God continue his work of sanctification in you through the church. Mature in your character and behavior. Learn to love as Christ has taught us we ought to love one another. Okay, so those are some of the ways that it's been mishandled, some of the bad solutions to the problem. But let's talk about some positive ones. And Moses, I want to expand on something that you brought up here, and that is the admonition to get married. I, I mean... That's at least how Paul deals with it. He, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he talks about, hey, it's better to marry than to burn. This is a, a, a solution. Yeah, we say that a lot, and, you know, one of the things we hear often is, well, I'm trying. You know, I want to be married. It's not like, you know, Pastor, I'm coming to you, and this is why I have this problem. I, I realize that marriage is a God-given uh, partial solution to this problem where I can enjoy sex with my wife, but I can't get married. Moses, you brought up something very very, very important for people who are thinking like this, which is in order to get married, you need to work on your character. I mean, part of the problem is some people view marriage as simply an avenue for the, you know, release of their, you know, lustful passions. And they don't view marriage for what marriage really is, which is a loving, devoted companionship between a wife and her husband. People expect that automatically every woman or every man should just be drawn to them because they want to get married and they're trying to do God's will when they may neglect very obvious instabilities in their own life, very many obvious things which make them unattractive uh, as a potential marriage partner. They maybe expect that they have to marry the, the hottest model that walks off the uh, that walks off the model runway. This is just, you need to bring your expectations and you need to bring your character in line with someone who is marriage material yourself. And this is working within the world, the creation that God has given us. 1 Corinthians 7, 9, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. We come back after the break. We're going to continue on with uh, some ways in which we can approach this in a positive way to help fulfill and uphold this seventh commandment. Stay tuned with us on Centers and Saints. 
There is no greater joy in the Christian's life than to worship God according to his word, and there is nowhere better in the San Gabriel Valley to do this than at the Pasadena United Reformed Church. So come join us this Sunday at 9 a.m. and at 6 p.m. at 226 West Colorado Boulevard in Arcadia. You can call us at 866-99-UNITED or look us up on the web at centersaint.org. Located in the heart of Los Angeles, Grace Evangelical Church is a Reformed church committed to the three forms of unity, the solas of the Reformation, the doctrines of grace, the preaching of the law and the gospel, the weekly administration of the Lord's table, along with catechism classes for adults and children. Give us a call at area code 310-782-7019. 310-782-7019. Okay, we're back after the break on Sinners and Saints. By the way, we want you to get in touch with us. You can contact us on the website, centersaint.org, centersaint.org, or call us at 866-99-UNITED. We would be happy to hear your feedback on uh, this series on the Ten Commandments, and, of course, we'd be happy to talk with you about other parts of Reformed theology as well. Uh, we wrapped up the last segment by sort of beginning to deal with some of the positive ways in which we can handle this commandment and promote its application and fulfillment in our lives as Christians, a very important issue. Uh, some positive things we noticed was that, you know, basically Paul says get married if you're having a problem. But, you know, you bring up, a, there's a point in here that we have to deal with too. Check your motives as to why you're getting married and also make yourself, make sure you're prepared in the right way. And then thirdly, I think a new aspect when we deal with this is watch out who you're marrying and what kind of person you're looking to marry. Well, first, before we get to the marriage, let's discuss again what we're dealing with regarding adultery. It is the sexual gratification that all men and women want. But the question isn't just simply, am I going to be gratified or am I just going to have to abstain, but rather, am I going to be gratified in a God-pleasing and biblical manner or in a man-centered and sinful manner? So marriage must be seen as the proper way in which I will receive the gratification, but it comes with a whole lot more. As opposed to it being a burden, as many people would see it today, rather it should be seen as far more glorious than simply just having physical sex. It is really being able to have the help meet and fulfilling all that God had intended for you to have. So what does that mean? If we flesh this out in practical terms... Uh, how does this give us some guidance about how to look for a, a proper mate? Well, first of all, the quality, the first quality that you look for in a mate is that it is a godly, a biblical man or woman. Not the first thing I'm looking for is somebody that's hot. And, you know, I just wish that people who really desire to be married would uh, come to us and ask us, you know, how do we look for somebody that might be a potentially a good spouse. There, Trust us, there are many, many people who are married to very beautiful others whose lives are a living hell because that person is not godly. And there are countless marriages and lives that are destroyed and people would rather be dead than alive because they're living with someone who maybe they thought was beautiful externally, but they come to find out once they're married that it's just intolerable. And so the first thing is look for somebody who's godly and align your expectations and your desires with that. Understand what is the role of a husband. What is the role of a wife? If you are a man, understand what you are called to be scripturally and grow into that character. You are to be one who is to be 
in many ways, the priest of the house. You are to be the spiritual head. And so you must mature in these things. You must grow in them. You have to provide for your family. You have to be willing to die for your family. As Christ loved the church, so husbands ought to love their wives. Women, you are to be a helpmeet for your husband. That means that you can't have the world's definition of what a woman ought to be, but you have to look biblically and say, I am here to support my husband and what he does. And therefore, I have to be one who is humble and gentle in character. I am to be one who loves children and knows how to raise them. I am to be one who is to be beautiful for my husband. I want to talk about another one. Let's just get real practical here. (laughs) If you desire to be married and you're single, you need to work on yourself. And primarily, that means you work on yourself spiritually. Of course, you need to be following the Lord in all the ways you're One of the specific ways you can do that is to round yourself out as an individual. I mean, I, I do desire that sometimes people would come to us and say, well, I want to be married. What should I do? And I wish we, we would have the courage to answer people directly and say, okay, well, you want to be honest? Here's, lose weight. Here, maybe lose weight. Maybe Dress better. Stop talking so much. Maybe stop being so socially awkward. Improve maybe your get a, manners. Get a stable job. Now, see, this all sounds very harsh to people. They say, whoa, whoa, who are you to judge me and all the rest of it? No, I'm telling you, the answer to making yourself appealing to another person is not to be so selfish, but to think about how somebody else would view you because you're sitting around looking at potential spouses yourself and disqualifying some for reasons that maybe you would be disqualified. For. Well, why don't you consider that also if it is your true desire to be married? Okay, Adam, you make a whole bunch of good points there about what you ought to be doing and thinking of and how to prepare yourself. But at the end of the day, somebody's going to say, well, why should I put all this effort into it? Um, you know, the, first of all, this sounds pretty hard. I'm going to have to change a lot of my habits and patterns and so forth. But at the end of the day, how can I know if I make all these changes that somehow God's going to provide me with a godly mate? Well, you know what? The, the fact of it is, he may not. It, it is true, and we would hate to face this as singles, this thought, that the Lord may not provide for us the godly spouse that we desire. And when we face that situation, the answer is that we are pilgrims. That in this life, sometimes the Lord calls us to places of dissatisfaction and frustration and loneliness because we are not yet glorified. One thing I can promise you is that the rewards you will receive by the grace of God, having humbly uh, fought your sins and trying to seek his will in this life, resting only on his grace, at the end of this life, when you are glorified, you will be fully satisfied in every way. You will no longer have any loneliness or despair or sadness. This is, you being single is not an indictment against you. It's not a sign of God's lack of favor against you. Even if you, know, you refuse his law and, and don't face these uh, admonitions, he does not reject you. He accepts you in Christ, and I promise you that one day you will be fully satisfied and blessed. And uh, we do not certainly judge you at all in any of these ways. We just want you to take advantage of the revealed law, which he has given, and according to his will, he will bless you or he will glorify you in the end. The seventh commandment says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. God's will for your sex life is to keep it within the bounds of marriage. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, love your husbands. This is God's will in Christ concerning you. We want to thank you for joining us tonight on Sinners and Saints. Be sure to get in touch with us at 866-99-UNITED. Thanks for listening. Join us next week as we tackle more topics with the truth of God's Word on Sinners and Saints, Theology with an Edge. For more information, call 866-99-UNITED or log on to the web at urcsocal.org. That's 866-99-UNITED. United.